Well, welcome to another Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we've got a couple of copies of a great book to give away. The theme this week has been reconciliation. It's uh, It's been, for us as believers, how do we show the love of Christ in everything that we do? And uh, Dan Darling is going to join me in a couple moments here to talk about an experience that he had uh, facing, well... <laughs> facing the, the kind of criticism that a lot of people have been facing of late and, um, and, and what he chose to do about it. Um, we've also got another story here to kick things off that is one that I know our friends in the Catholic community have been, have been uh, wrestling with here, and it involves yet another case of somebody kind of going head-to-head with the church and the Pope. And basically, uh, it's been kind of interesting to watch and see how this is going to play out. In case you hadn't heard, there's a guy by the name of Bishop Strickland, uh, Bishop Ted Strickland, I believe, who serves in Tyler, Texas. He had been, or Joseph Strickland, rather. He had been serving as the bishop of the diocese of Tyler, Texas for many years. And it's been interesting because I, my heart breaks for people who are in the Catholic Church right now who are looking at elected officials like Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and others who are so passionately anti-family, anti-Bible, anti-life, anti-basically everything. And yet, this is a huge issue. We, we talked about this, uh, touched on it last week in the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, and my colleague Bob Duco was very, very passionate about this. The idea that there are so many people who profess faith in Christ that are in the Catholic Church, for example, who will still vote Democrat. And for whatever reason, it may have, I mean, I don't want to oversimplify this, but it may have something to do with the guy whose life was ended 60 years ago today, John Kennedy, being the first Catholic president. And, you know, people still refer to themselves as Kennedy Democrats. We're not, you know, pro-war, we're pro-life, we're pro-people, you know, we're not as bad as the left is right now. But if you're voting Democrat, you're not voting for Jack Kennedy's Democrat Party, you're voting for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's party. And so you see the Pope, who is kind of walking this tightrope, knowing that the church is being confronted with issues like same-sex attraction, uh, pedophilia, um, you know, what do we do about the transgender issue? And and to be fair, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not chuckling because it's funny, but it is interesting to say that um, the fact that there, you've got a bishop right now in Tyler, Texas, um, who is been who has been labeled as a troublemaker and now basically has been fired, if you will, for uh, blasphemy, as it were. So we have to ask the question: What exactly did this guy do? Well, let's look at July 2022. This is a report from LifeSite News. Bishop Strickland did urge the Pope to refuse to serve communion to Nancy Pelosi when she was the then Speaker of the House. The reason he did so was because Nancy Pelosi supports legalized abortion. Uh, in that same uh, diatribe, uh, Bishop Strickland also accused Pope Francis of, quote, a program of undermining the deposit of faith. And then you get guys like the Reverend James Martin, who's a very radically pro-LGBTQ Catholic priest, and uh, Bishop Strickland referred to what he was doing as blasphemy. 
Now, it's interesting. Um, because of those charges against the Pope, what did the church do? Now, see if this sounds familiar. Um, the 1517, Martin Luther, studying for the priesthood, goes to the church at Wittenberg, finds 95 inconsistencies he found in the Catholic Church, lining up with Scripture, and what did the church do? They get together with the Council of Trent, was it a couple of years later, and decide to excommunicate him because he didn't line up with the church. So here comes Bishop Strickland, basically speaking up for biblical values yet again. And what happens is that Pope Francis decides, instead of saying, hey, you're right, maybe we should reconsider this stuff, says, I'm the Pope and you're fired. Here's a tweet from uh, a guy by the name of Dr. Taylor Marshall. He's a conservative Catholic podcaster. Spoke with uh, um, Bishop Strickland, and Bishop Strickland relayed to him that there was, quote, nothing salacious or scandalous involved in his losing his job. Other than the fact that he said, look, just because you don't want to serve communion to Nancy Pelosi, you don't want to serve communion to Joe Biden. I mean, if you look at the catechism of the Catholic Church, and I found this in the Federalist Papers, I don't have knowledge of the Catholic Catechism. But according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, quote, uh, homosexual, homosexual acts, homosexuality, uh, those acts are, quote, acts of grave depravity. And tradition has always declared that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered. They are contrary to natural law. Under no circumstances can they be approved. That's in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So then you have to ask the question, why is the Pope considering opening baptism in the Catholic Church to members of the LGBTQ community, especially people who are transgender? Uh, the Pope recently gave that green light for people to be baptized if they were in the transgender community, um, if they were in the LGBT part, um, even though it does undermine the deposit of faith. According to the Washington Examiner, uh, people in the LGBTQ com community can be baptized in the Catholic Church and can serve as witnesses to a marriage like in signing the marriage certificate. Remember, in the Catholic Church, marriage is a sacrament, a holy sacrament. I think in the evangelical church, we believe it's a holy covenant, but it's a holy sacrament to Catholics. So someone who's living an apostate life, being allowed to bear witness to a holy sacrament? Under Pope Francis, this is what the Vatican issued last week. It's a guidance from the dicastery, the dicastery rather, for the doctrine of faith. Quote, a transgender person, even if they have undergone hormone therapy and sex reassignment surgery, can receive baptism under the same conditions as other faithful if there are no situations in which there is a risk of generating a public scandal or disorientation among the faithful. Now, did you read that the same way I, or did you hear that the same way I just read that? The Vatican is telling Catholic churches all over the world 
that a transgender person can receive baptism under the same conditions as somebody who has not undergone hormone therapy and sex reassignment surgery. And they say the terms are, if there are no situations in which there was a risk of generating a public scandal. Now, what does that sound like to you? Here's what it sounds like to me. If this helps us score points in society, let's do it. If it doesn't create a scandal like all those pedophile priest issues, then let's not do it. If it, creates, if it does not create disorientation among the faithful. But what does that mean? By saying we can go ahead and condone this, these actions. <laughs> I mean, if you're saying go ahead and condone it, and then you're basically telling the people if you're disoriented by it, well, we don't want to hear it. The guidance also made it clear that children being raised by gay parents can be baptized in the Catholic Church, which is, I'm sure, a relief for them. Quote, in order for a child to be baptized, there must be a well-founded hope that he or she will be brought up in the Catholic religion. Um, question? Why is the Catholic religion more important than the body of Christ? Just a thought. And I'm sure we'll have some folks who, you know, <laughs> you're part of the Catholic Church. You'll explain that to me. I'm not following why it's more important to be Catholic than Christian. But that's okay. So Bishop uh, Joseph Strickland is now former Bishop Strickland, and they've appointed his replacements in Tyler, Texas, and the Archdiocese there. Uh, there's a lot of confusion going on in the Catholic Church. No question about it. Now, I know the devout Catholic would say, no, there isn't. <laughs> whatever the Pope says, that's the way it's supposed to be. We've got the Bible, but we, the church has more weight than the Bible does. So, you know, I, I do understand that part about the belief system in the Catholic church, but it's just so interesting that a guy who would say, hey, wait a minute, these are part of canonical texts that the, and, and historical tradition, which is something the Catholic church holds on to very, very dearly. You know, the early church was Catholic and we've got this long history of tradition and whatever. And now the Pope is basically changing that and a priest who or excuse me, a bishop who challenges him on that gets excommunicated, basically, or at least defrocked. It's a strange time, indeed. And yet, communication breakdown is, uh, especially among believers, is a huge issue. How can we love as Jesus loved when there are so many divides that needs to be bridged? Uh, Daniel Darling used to serve as the press secretary, if you will, for the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. He's an award-winning writer, author, and Christian leader. And uh, basically, his profile really picked up a lot when he was the subject of national news stories with regard to some personal comments he made during the COVID pandemic. He's written a book about his experience and how to bridge divides and love as Jesus loved. The book is called Agents of Grace. And we have a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we have a couple of copies of this book that we'll be giving away today here on Everyone Wednesday. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, Daniel Darling joins me for a powerful conversation about grace and forgiveness. Coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. 
Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. It's one thing to say we want to be healing in the culture. We want to bring people together. We want to get rid of divisions and things of that nature. But when you see so much of it in the culture, and then you turn it around and look and say that it even spills over into the church, there's a real question. What does it mean to love people the way Jesus loved them, whether they are your friends or even your enemies? Today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into a new resource that helps us address that very issue. It's a brand new book called Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loved. The author of the book is Daniel Darling, an award-winning writer, author, and Christian leader whose public profile expanded exponentially as the result of being the subject of a national news story. We'll get into that in just a moment. Daniel Darling, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Well, I am so honored to be back on with you and love the work that you're doing and eager to talk about these things. Well, I appreciate that. Very kind of you to say. Um, You had the position as the spokesman, spokesperson, if you will, for an organization that I talk a lot about here on The Bottom Line Show, the National Religious Broadcasters Association. I go to the NRB convention every year, get to meet with people, uh, do interviews, this, that, and the other thing. Um, You were working as the kind of, they always have like a media department for NRB. And then at one point you were working there and at another point you weren't working there. Um, Can you help us understand what happened there? Because I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are saying, wait a minute, there are things that we are all on the front lines fighting for. And it seemed like we were all on the same team until in this case, you found yourself at odds with someone who you thought you were on the same team with. Yeah, I mean, it really was unfortunate. Uh, You know, I wrote a column USA Today. I, I regularly contribute to USA Today, and I went on TV to talk about it, which I, I also do regularly. And um, uh, it was this was the fall of 21, 2021, and I I basically wrote a column addressing why a lot of folks were hesitant about taking the COVID-19 vaccine, mm-hmm. uh, trying to help people understand why there's a hesitancy. You know, there's widespread distrust in the culture. Uh, public health officials have not been so forthright or they've actually contradicted themselves quite a bit uh politically motivated or biased um and all sorts of things but then i said here's nevertheless here's why i got it and and i explained a few reasons that i never really told people to go get it i just said here's why i got it maybe talk uh to your doctor but then i went on tv and talked about it and it's funny the feedback i got after all this was largely positive especially from people who are skeptical of vaccine um saying hey thanks for not throwing us under the bus um, I try to defend evangelicals because, you know, the narrative was like, oh, those evangelicals are so, you know, backward and whatever. Mm-hmm. The only negative feedback I got was from people on the left who said, man, you should have crushed those people. And I said, well, that's why you're not making it, uh, convincing arguments. But <laughs> yeah. so anyway, 
I came into work the following week and uh, a few days later and was told that I would be dismissed because I violated our policy on neutrality, which really was kind of a mystery to me. You know, I'd written about far more controversial things. They kind of expected mm-hmm. that because that's kind of what I do. And um, our members were very pro-vaccine. Many, many of them had done vaccine drives. Our, our organization itself had put out emails saying, hey, come to our conference because, uh, you know, the vaccines are out there. Anyways. So it was, it was an unfortunate time. It was a painful time. But, you know, I really, the Lord was good to us during that season. And I really, you know, I was in the national spotlight. It was a news story for a couple of weeks. And I, I really felt like the Lord wanted me to call the, the church to, to unity. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. folks, when they get in mm-hmm. those situations, kind of take their pond of flesh and they want to kind of go on a revenge tour. And I just didn't feel that was right. I felt like the Lord wanted me to do something different. And so hopefully I was able to model that. Uh, you know, in the way I responded. And, and really, this book kind of is an outgrowth of that to say, hey, what does it look like for Christians to love each other? What does Christian unity mean? What does it not mean? What are the issues we should be really fighting for? Mm-hmm. And what are the issues that we might have strong opinions about but might disagree on? And so hopefully it's helpful. Daniel Darling is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, and the book he's talking about is called Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loved. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I've been made aware, I I think, you know, through stories like yours and just what happened during the pandemic, you know, you and I sound like we're on the same page in terms of how we approach the situation, and yet you chose to vaccinate and I chose not to, but we don't hate each other. You know, we we could actually make, you know, pretty rational cases in both directions. And I'm sure we each have family members and friends who made one choice or the other. And we're all still together. You know, we, we could we, this is a winnable war. Right. But it, it, I'm right. sure you've seen this working at the NRB. And, you know, I've seen it, too, where the number of people who would kind of get inside the silo, you know, kind of hunker down in the bunker, if you will, and, and then start lobbing holy hand grenades at each other doesn't really show the world how Jesus commanded us on the night he was betrayed, on the way to Gethsemane to say, by the way, here's your new command, love one another. Everyone's going to know you're on the same page. How, give us Talk about some of the, the things that you describe in the book as ways that are virtues that you describe as worthy virtues. Before we get into the, you know, which battles to fight, what are the virtues that are kind of the drivers behind the reason why we get so upset and kind of go to social media and try to prove everybody right or wrong? Well, I think the first one is love. You know, Jesus said um, to his disciples, uh, the world will know you're mine by the way you love one another. And mm-hmm. he said, this is a command I give you to love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love them? He loved them with a sacrificial love. He was going to the cross to die for their sins. And uh, Jesus has gone to the cross to die for us. And we should model that kind of sacrificial love to our brothers and sisters. And, you know, let's realize who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to a diverse group of followers. You know, he had the 12 disciples. You think of, on the one end, you have Matthew, who was, hey, um, tax collector, a sellout to the Romans, was not very well liked. On the other hand, he has Simon the Zealot, who's maybe Mm. a couple clicks away from being an insurrectionist. (laughs) And he Mm. thrusts them together because love one another as I have loved you. And God has called, we're, we're to um, see every human being as made in the image of God. But for Christians, we should have a special love for those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, Francis Schaeffer said something that's really powerful. He said, 
Yeah, and, and let's keep in mind, Francis Schaeffer was a powerful apologist, unafraid to speak truth to the culture, unafraid to be prophetic to the church. And yet he, he wrote a book called The Mark of a Christian. And he said, God has given the world to right, the right to judge the validity of our faith by the way that we treat each other. In other words, the hmm. world should be looking in on Christians and say, I don't even know what they believe. I don't understand what this is. But look at the way they treat each other. Look at the way right. they care for right. each other. And this is something we should be modeling. Yeah. That's, that's great counsel from Francis Schaeffer, but also from Daniel Darling today here on The Bottom Line. The book, Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loved, it's up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, toward that end, if we're going to love one another, obviously one of the hallmarks of that is we are forgiven people uh, you know, because of the work of Jesus on the cross. And yet, why is it that we in the body of Christ have such a hard time, Daniel Darling, forgiving people. I would imagine it wasn't easy for you and your family to look at your former employers and say, hey, wait, I thought we were all on the same page here, but I can forgive whatever you know trespass you've committed against me. Why do you think it's so difficult here in 2023 for Christians who have become so tribal and polarized to forgive as Christ has forgiven us? Well, I think there's a couple of things. I think, um, number one, we're living in a very divisive age. Um, we have the digital revolution where it's never been easier to communicate, to express our thoughts. We're living in a time of great upheaval. Um, we just had a worldwide pandemic and all that went with that. And so there's a time of great disruption. Every institution in American life is, is kind of disrupted. There's widespread distrust, uh, in society toward institutions. So all that is fertile ground for disagreement, for, Mm -hmm for um, disunity. Um, and I think sometimes in the way that we fight, we're, we're actually being like the world. I mean, we should model something different than what the world sees every day, that in the church doesn't mean we don't have disagreements, and it doesn't mean we don't have to stand for really important issues. It doesn't mean we don't have accountability uh, for leaders, but the world should look in and see something different. We, we, we should be modeling something different because we have a supernatural love for each other. So I think the fact that we don't sometimes, you know, James says this in the book of James, where all the wars and fightings come, they're coming from, from your lust, that you, your, 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 uh, your hearts, it's coming from within. And God needs to do a work, a work of repentance, and revival, I think, among his church uh, in this area. Yeah, that's that's good counsel, and it's it's something that I'm sure is uh, a lot of people are looking around saying, you know, with arms folded, great, I'll be sure to reach out the olive branch as soon as you reach one out to me first, and maybe there's a little more work that needs to be done there. Uh, Daniel Darling is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The brand new book is called Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loved. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about something Daniel identifies as worthy fights. What What are the battles that we should be engaging in? What are the battles that maybe we're saying, hey, wait a minute, is that a cross I want to I wanna die on? We'll talk about that with Daniel Darling on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues in just a moment. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday edition of The Bottom Line, Thanksgiving 2023 style. Of course, the holiday coming up tomorrow. Daniel Darling is my guest uh, today here on the broadcast, and we're talking about his most recent book called Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loves. We have not one but two copies of this book to give away here on Everyone Wednesday. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, it's interesting to think about this book because um, this is a 
book written by a guy who was kind of wounded by the church for speaking out about something that I think he handled fairly enough, but the uh, the agency he was working for, their corporate policy was that he violated it. And so rather than having a chance to kind of explain or this, that, the other thing, he was uh, fired by the National Religious Broadcasters uh, Convention for uh, for handling, or NRB, the National Religious Broadcasters Association, um, for something that I, quite frankly, I mean, he put out some things on social media that were his personal opinions that did not reflect the opinions of NRB and they fired him. So what made headlines here wasn't so much that he was fired and that it made national news. The reason it made national news is the way he handled it. He was charitable to those who fired him uh, seemingly for no reason. And the national press picked up on it. But the question is, well, isn't this the way we're supposed to handle stuff like this? Aren't we supposed to be gracious? If someone wrongs us, do we try to make a big spectacle out of it? Why is the fact that Daniel Darling was gracious in the way he handled his ouster at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention? Why was that front page news? That's supposed to be part and parcel of who we are and what we do, is it not? And yet, maybe that's why we're having this conversation today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we have not one, but two copies of the book by uh, Daniel Darling called Agents of Grace. They were giving away today here on the Bottom Line Show. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, more of this conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Been hurt in an accident and you're wondering if you should call Stephanie Cover of Cover Law. You must. That's why insurance exists to cover accidents. So you should use it. Stephanie worked in the insurance industry for over 20 years and she knows their system, how to talk to adjusters, how they think and how to get back from them all that you've lost. That could be wages, time, property, or anything else that the accident has taken from you. Every minute you wait hurts your chance to be made whole again, and Stephanie knows that the opposing insurance company is building a case against you, so time is a factor. Stephanie cares about the truth. She builds your case on a rock-solid foundation of honesty. She will give you a clear understanding of what to expect during the process, and Stephanie will ensure that the truth comes to light. If you or someone you know has been in an accident, and you're not sure if you need an attorney, reach out to Stephanie Cover now at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. All right, Daniel Darling is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Dan is the author of a brand new book called Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loved. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com after leaving his position or being left from his position with the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Dan now hosts the weekly podcast, The Way Home. He leads the Land Center for Cultural Engagement and is a speaker at churches and conferences all around the country. Um, and he and his wife are in the throes of parenting with four kids right now. What are the age ranges of your kids, Daniel? I'm going to say an extra prayer for you and Angela as you're in the middle of that parenting season, which is always a lot of fun. I'm glad you asked. I just saw my oldest daughter graduate from high school. Hard to believe Congrats. I'm that old high school graduate. And then I have a 14-year-old son who's going to be a sophomore next year. And then I have a 
13-year-old daughter who's going to be a uh, an eighth grade, and then I have an 11-year-old daughter who's going to be in sixth grade. So it's a full house, three teens yeah. and a preteen. <laughs> it's a full house. There's no hormones and drama at the Darling household, that's for sure. Not at uh, all. We'll, no, no. <laughs> we'll keep you in our prayers. Um, Agents of Grace is the brand new book, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loved. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Before the break, we were talking about the fights that we do get into, which ones we should, which ones we shouldn't. And I, I wanted to circle back to the, the issue of forgiveness for just a moment, because I, 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 I am the older I get, the more aware I am of the fact that this is really difficult for Christians, even though it was relatively, I don't want to say relatively easy for God, but now that Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin, that forgiveness is there for anyone who will believe and receive that that happened. And yet it, forgiveness is so difficult. Why, why do you think it is so difficult, Dan Darling? I mean, is it, why are we still so, I'll, I'll use this term, butthurt about things that people do to us and we just won't forgive them. Well, I think forgiveness is a really, really important concept. I, I think part of the reason is we don't fully understand forgiveness. So we collapse different categories into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm talking about deep hurts here. I'm not talking about, you know, petty little things, but deep hurts where people have hurt us. I think there's really three levels. I think the first level, the basic level is forgiveness where when someone has hurt us deeply, we we re- refuse to carry bitterness and anger with us because, you know, unforgiveness only ever hurts us. It never hurts the object of our unforgiveness. It, right. And I have seen um, people who carry unforgiveness. Uh, it just hurts every relationship. It leaks into every single thing that they do um, and really can destroy us, someone. And we have the power to forgive people our deepers because Christ forgave us. If, if, if we can imagine this, that what we have done to God is worse than what someone's done to us, and yet God, through Christ, has forgiven us. So we can do that. Um, I, I think of Joseph, who looked at his brothers and said, what you intended for evil, God meant for good. You know, he named the evil. He didn't, He didn't. you know, some people say forgive and forget. I don't think Joseph forgot being trafficked into uh, another country and, and, and sold into slavery. Um and he called it evil. He said, what you did was evil, but God, and so he could see that God even used the evil for his good. But there's a second level that, that is, you know, reconciliation, which is, we should pursue, but it's not always possible. And it requires two people. And um, we should try to be at peace with folks as much as lies within us, but it's not always possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, th- I would say there's like a third level, which is trust, where um, trust has to be earned back. So, you know, if the church treasurer runs off with the with the money, church money, you're going to forgive him, but you're not going to make him church treasurer for a while right, at all. Right, right. right. Um, so I think our inability to understand sometimes we we tell people give, and what we really mean is reconcile and all that. No, that's harder. The the other thing about forgiveness is that it's a process that takes it takes time. Mm-hmm. That God over time, we're intentional by walking with the Spirit, can heal our hearts. Uh, Jesus told Peter to forgive 70 times seven. He wasn't giving him a formula or a checklist. What he was saying was forgiveness will be a way of life. It'll be a rhythm. Mm -hmm. So every single time you walk past that house or drive past that house, or you hear that song come on the radio or that picture floods your mind that reminds you of that pain, that you need the practice of, of crying out to God and appropriating the forgiveness he's given you so that you can forgive others. That's the only way we can do it. I think those are, it's really important. And if you can walk around with, you know, I, I've had two major betrayals in my life that were deep and hard and painful and it took time and took the Lord 
but by God's grace, I've been able to be at peace with the people that have hurt me. Um, mm-hmm. I talk about that in a personal way in my book. I think it's really important. I've seen people destroyed by unforgiveness, and I really don't want to see that for anybody. Right. And that's that's good counsel, because those listening right now to my conversation with Daniel Darling here on the bottom line are saying, where's this book, Agents of Grace? I've got to read about your stories because I this is eating me alive, too. And you begin to wonder, you know, all of a sudden um, I was angry with this person. I can't forgive them. Why do I keep drinking poison and getting sick? You know, and, and the idea that mm-hmm. there is an opportunity for healing, but it does involve forgiveness. It's kind of counterintuitive to us. Uh, we talk a lot in the book about if we're going to be agents of grace. We have to understand that there are some battles that are worth fighting in the culture, and there are some battles that are not. And the advent of social media has unfortunately magnified some of the smaller ones and minimized some of the more important ones. You have a whole section in the book that where you talk about worthy fights. Uh, which battles should we be choosing, Daniel, darling? I mean, which one and which ones maybe is it better for us to step away from and we'll see that we can become agents of grace by not engaging in those types of battles? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, we have to decide which we have to understand which battles are worth fighting, which are not. You know, at, in, first, in First Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, on one hand, fight the good fight of right. faith. In other words, there's a good fight. There's a fight worth having. He's talking about this body of truth that has been passed down to us for 2,000 years that tells us who God is, who we are, what, what about the gospel. Um, you know, some people, a lot of times it's called Christian orthodoxy. There's this body of truth that we can't, we can't budge on. You know, Jude said to um, earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Things like the exclusivity of Christ, the, the inerrancy of Scripture, the the um, you know uh, the Trinity. I would say biblical sexual ethics are so woven into Scripture that it, it's on that level. Um, this Christian orthodoxy that we have to hold on to—that's beautiful and precious. But then Paul also tells Timothy in Second Timothy, avoid stupid and foolish arguments. So there are things that you may have an opinion on that may be important, but are not worth um, fighting over. And I think distinguishing that, um, Dr. Moeller has coined a term. Uh, Dr. Al Mohler coined term about 10 years ago called theological triage. And it's a concept that Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. But it's the, it's the idea that what are first order issues that are, that is that Christian orthodoxy, that if you don't believe these things, it's hard to say that you're a genuine Christian. Mm. Then there's second order things that Christians have disagreed about for all of church history, things like baptism, things like, you know, and this may be where we divide in terms of how we organize our churches. I'm a convictional Baptist. I have mm-hmm. some of my really good friends and heroes, and people I read and work with and do, do ministry with are Presbyterians or Anglicans. And we disagree on some of those things, but we agree on orthodoxy. So we may go to church differently. We may organize differently. Right. Um, and that's okay, right? And sometimes those second-order things are first-order things within a denomination. So for Southern Baptists, you know, there's certain things that are secondary things what our first order within our denomination. But then you have then you have tertiary things, man, that even within the same congregation, um, you may disagree on. Uh, and, and then you have even like fourth order things like how do we educate our kids or or um, you know, all these kinds of things that we have a strong opinion on, but we hold them loosely. They're not things that I would go to the stake for, they're not things that I would die for. And I think part of the problem is when we savage each other and separate from each other over these really tertiary things, we waste time and energy from the important fights that are mm-hmm. worth having. 
right? If mm-hmm. we're savaging each other over these things, we can't unite and fight over these things. The proverb says that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Right. I think it's an Ecclesiastes. And if we're dividing over dumb things, we can't fight over the important things. And so I think mm-hmm. it really matters. We want to be wide with our with our fighting energy and not yeah. allocate it for things that are not ultimate. You know, it's interesting talking with Daniel Darling today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loved. The one thread that uh, through our conversation here this past 20 minutes or so that I keep seeing is either we have this or we don't. I mean, forgiveness is important. Of course, love is important. But there's an aspect of uh, humility that if we're there and we're willing to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, if we're willing to walk with our brothers and sisters in humility to not think of ourselves as better than the other, but you know, trying to bring this unity together, it seems like if that piece of the puzzle is there, we've got a good shot at this. And if it's not, that our pride kind of leads to a fall. Dan, take the last 60 seconds of our time together. I mean, it's not a lot to talk about humility, but talk about why this was so important for you to put down as one of the worthy virtues that you write about in the new book, Agents of Grace. Well, I think we need humility. We've always, Christians have always needed humility in every age um, because, you, you know, to understand that he's God and we're not, that we're, right. we're loved by God, but we're frail, fallen, sinful sinners. And understand who we are and what we are is really important. I think it's important in this age because there's so many more ways to exalt ourselves, to, to broadcast mm-hmm. our self-righteousness, to try to become a hero to a certain tribe of people, to try to become a martyr to a certain tribe of people in order to gain currency to try to be the self-righteous one online or social media in our interactions. And, uh, you know, sometimes God will give us a platform. Will God give the, give us an audience? Like if you're a writer or speaker or pastor, and I don't think we should shy away from stepping into our calling, but to understand why has God done this? What am I doing this? How am I serving the church in this way? Um, that is beneficial to the body. Understand that, you know, leadership is about servanthood. It's not about me. It's not about what I can get from it. It's about serving uh, the people God has called me to serve. Amen. Amen. Well, that's a very great encouragement and exhortation at the same time for us to uh, conclude our conversation. Daniel Darling, the author of the brand new book called Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides, Love as Jesus Loved. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dan, where's the best place for us to find you on social media these days? Well, you can go to my website, danieldarling.com, and I have links to all my social media, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. You can also find links to my book. You can get my book anywhere books are sold, Amazon, independent bookstores, wherever uh, you, you like to find books. All right. Well, we'll put that link up, and uh, it's great. It's a one-stop shop. Hit the click, and it tells you everything you need to know, which is what we want the Internet to do for us and, and not spam us back coming in the, the other direction as well. Daniel Darling, a pleasure to spend some time with you again today, brother. Thank you so much for uh, the book and for the visit today here on The Bottom Line Show. Thank you. It's such a uh, privilege to be on with you, and thank you for your faithful ministry. Well, what a great conversation today here on The Bottom Line, and who would have ever thought that having a situation like uh, Daniel Darling faced and in his capacity with the National Religious Broadcasters Association, and then there's a disagreement, he winds up being ousted from the organization, and it's the fact that he took the high road and showed a certain level of grace that got all the press's tongues wagging. (laughs) His brand new book is called Agents of Grace, and we've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. Literally, how to bridge divides and love as Jesus loved. The link for the book I mentioned is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one but two copies of this book to give away. 
the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, You're going to love this book, especially if you have people in your world who are of the Christian faith, or at least profess faith in Christ, and you don't always get along. Or maybe someone said something to the other person, and boy, we've all been there where there's uh, words are spoken and accusations are made. And sometimes even, I mean, I got in the middle of a conversation a couple days ago with two dear friends and one of them was right, but one of them was more correct. And it was interesting to hear them hashing back and forth on these two uh, parts of the, literally two heads of the same coin. But that's, you know, that's where we're called to be peacemakers and bridge builders. And Daniel Darling gave us a really good example of that when he was ousted from NRB. He currently hosts the weekly podcast called The Way Home. He is the leader of the Land Center for Cultural Engagement and speaks at churches and conferences all across the country. Uh, this book is the uh, outgrowth of what happened as he was shown the door at NRB. And I remember working with Daniel on a lot of different projects together. Good guy. Uh, Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loved is the name of the book. We've got not one but two copies to give away. And since it is Everyone Wednesday, everybody who calls today is going to basically um, uh, is going to win a copy of something. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. Our friends at Preborn have a very special opportunity for you. And on the other side of this break, I want to talk about that and talk about something that we know has kind of been hiding in plain sight with regard regard to the sanctity of human life. But I think we have a way that we in the body of Christ can present this information to people who are passionately pro-abortion, but do so in a way that might actually get their attention and be very kind and loving and even bridge building at the same time. Let's talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. My thanks again to Daniel Darling for joining me today here on The Bottom Line for a conversation about how do we bridge divides and love as Jesus loved, with, especially with people within the body of Christ. His book, Agents of Grace, is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one but two copies of this book we're giving away. Of course, today is Everyone Wednesday, so everybody who calls is going to win something, but two of our Bottom Line listeners today are going to win a copy of the book, Agents of Grace. I'd love for it to be you, 800-227-5278. the number to get you through to the bottom line. Okay, let's talk about some good news uh, that we can always be joyful about, and that is the fact that our friends at Preborn are providing ultrasounds for women who are in pregnancy situations that, quite frankly, many of them didn't think they would be in because they were taking birth control or they were using the rhythm method or whatever, and they got pregnant, and now they're saying, now what do I do? Well, you and I know there are three options when a woman becomes pregnant. Either she's going to be a mother, she's going to carry the baby to term and release that child for adoption, or she's going to terminate the pregnancy if it does not end naturally and unfortunately a stillbirth or a miscarriage. Those are the options. The truly loving thing to do to tell a woman is these are your options. The totalitarian left wants to say, well, here are the options. Either you're going to be stuck with a pregnancy that will put you into poverty and ruin your life and inconvenience you for the rest of your life, or you can end the pregnancy and go on with your life the way you love it. And that, of course, would be abortion. But it's interesting how many people who are very passionately pro-abortion get all bent out of shape when you start mentioning things like gun control. Oh, we should have gun control. I mean, guns are dangerous. Guns are violent, blah, blah, blippity, blah. 
Well, here's a very interesting statistic that I just came across this week. And again, we're not trying to use uh, the, 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 the number to try to serve as a way to bludgeon people into, you know, our side. You know, there are a lot of people on the progressive Christian side say, hey, you know what, when you get right down to it, uh, you know, Christians have their certain weaponized verses that the clobber verses, they call them, but they try to get people that don't agree with them to say, well, you see, you see, here you go, here you go. But it's interesting because um, some pro, uh, pro-life pro uh, organizations have gotten into the question about the so-called late-term abortion. Many people on the pro-abortion side say it's extremely rare. As a matter of fact, uh, there was a, a writer for the uh, who writes for uh, Washington. She's the Washington correspondent for Kaiser Health News. Uh, posted an article a couple of weeks ago called "Abortion Until the Day of Birth Is Almost Never a Thing." Now it's interesting um, <laughs> that you're saying, "Well, wait a minute." I mean, all of these laws that are codifying into law, like California, Ohio recently did this too, into the state constitution that a woman can have an abortion up until literally the point where the baby's born. And in some cases, to protect abortionists, I know they're not going to come after your baby after they're a month old and say, let's kill the kid, but rather they're going to say, look, if you attempt an abortion on a child who is viable and could survive in a NICU uh, neonatal ICU uh, unit and potentially live, that pro-abortionists want to make it legal for the abortionists to try to perform the abortion. And if the kids fight through the abortion, they can just let the kid die because, well, as far as we're concerned, that child was aborted. So it does make sense then, I mean, illogical as it sounds, that a pro-abortion reporter would say, hey, you know, this whole uh, late-term abortion thing, it's not really a thing. It's almost never a thing. Late-term, as a matter of fact, uh, she basically says, hey, you know, what we should do is we should, uh, let's get that late-term terminology out of existence. Here's a quote from Julie Rovner. According to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, late-term refers to the period after 40 weeks when a pregnancy has already exceeded full-term. The Associated Press changed its style book to read, do not use the term late-term abortion as recently as 2022. The Associated Press said, do not use the term late-term abortion. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists defined late-term as 41 weeks through 41 weeks and six days of gestation, and abortion does not happen in that period. Well, of of course not, but what they're saying is the only time you can use late-term abortion is in the last week of pregnancy, literally the last six to seven days. So since abortion doesn't typically happen during that period, then there's no more late-term abortion, right? Well, now that she has that approval, uh, Ms. Rovner writes, abortions after 21 weeks are rare and usually the result of tragedy. Um, Republicans want you to think otherwise. Uh, By the way, there are only three providers publicly known to offer abortion after 23 weeks. According to uh, Laura Echeveria, who, who's the National Right to Life Director of Communications and Press Secretary, uh, here's what really happens, and this is what she writes. Abortions late in pregnancy are not reported 
in many states. And the number of such abortions is not fully known. What is known comes from public statements made by abortionists, including how many they have done and for what reason. Only a handful of abortionists in the U.S. do perform late abortions. One of them is a guy called Warren Hearn uh, right here in Colorado was recently profiled in the Atlantic, of all places, in May of 2023. Uh, they write, he specializes in abortions late in pregnancy. The rarest and most controversial form of abortion. That means that Dr. Hearn ends pregnancies of women who are 22, 25, and 30 weeks along. He is reluctant to acknowledge any limit, any red line. He takes the woman's choice argument to its logical conclusion. Um, 22, 25, and 30 weeks along is what we would typically define as a late-term abortion. But according to Kaiser Health, they're saying, well, late-term is after 41 weeks. So here's how they then try to spin it. Uh, Julie Rovner basically says... uh, Katrina Kimport, a medical sociologist and professor at the University of California, San Francisco, who has interviewed more than 50 women who terminated pregnancies after 24 weeks. Uh, She says the number of late-term abortions is vanishingly small. However, at least half of the late-term abortions performed by Dr. Hearn were elective. That whole, these are rare and this is for the woman's life and this, that, the other thing. No, no underlying medical condition in the baby or mother. But again, tell me how this is so vital that we need to have it. And oh, by the way, there's something else that uh, goes along with this story as well that is just really somewhat interesting when you take into consideration the number of babies that are killed in late-term abortions every year and how it stacks up against the number of people who wind up dying in gun violence. We'll take a look at those numbers coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, looking at some of the spin the left will use to try to redefine late-term abortion so as not to make it seem like there are that many uh, abortions. By the way, there are fewer than 12,000 total gun homicides in the U.S. every year. There are some suicides, but in terms of homicides, it's under 12,000. According to NBC... 1.3 abortions, 1.3% of abortions happen at 21 weeks or later. 
1.3% of 930,000 total abortions is 12,000 babies killed at 21 weeks or later every year. And we know that total is well over a million. So in other words, when the abortion crowd tries to tell you that there aren't any late-term abortions, they're lying, number one. And when they try to tell you that the biggest problem is we've got to get handguns out of the society because that's the leading cause of death among young people, et cetera, et cetera, the reality is more babies die as a result of late-term abortion than die at, the, at, at, at handgun violence. And then when you throw in all abortions, of course, it's just exponentially small. That's why I encourage you to make a Thanksgiving donation to our friends at Preborn. Preborn is the, uh, the premier organization for preventing sanctity of life uh, information for women who are looking to provide that kind of health care uh, for their children in the womb by giving you a free ultrasound. Right now, we have a special matching gift in place just in time for Thanksgiving. Your gift will be doubled, and this is an unlimited gift. So if you want to give $100, it becomes $200. If you want to give $1,000, it becomes $2,000. If you want to give $10,000, it'll double to $20,000. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. Every $28 provides a free uh, prenatal ultrasound for a woman who's looking for that kind of care and a two-year commitment to help them on the road to keeping that child's life healthy and safe, either through adoption or uh, the delivery of the child. 833-850-2229 or go to kbrightradio.com and click on the banner for preborn today. Last call for Daniel Darling's book, Agents of Grace. We've got two that give away today here at 800-227-5278. And of course, we encourage you to stay with us through the break as we continue with more of the Bottom Line Show in just a moment. By the way, for those who are listening at KCBC, uh, Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, coming your way next as the Bottom Line continues. Well, welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and today's a rather auspicious anniversary in American history. And it also, I think, takes on a, a slightly uh, uh, powerful and poignant significance for people of the Christian faith as well. Now, of course, today is, uh, is November 22nd. Uh, this is the day that uh, C.S. Lewis passed away, went home to be with the Lord. And people always look at that day as kind of a monumental occasion. But it's just interesting. Whenever we come up on one of these events, like uh, this past summer, we had the uh, the 60th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. And, and then today... Uh, November 22nd, 1963. Remember, I, all I have to do is mention that date and people know exactly what I'm talking about. The President of the United States was traveling in a motorcade through Dallas, Texas in an open-top convertible, something that would never happen in America right now, and he was assassinated. And, it, you know, it's so interesting to watch this unfold because over the past 60 years, there have been so many, I just saw another uh, opinion poll, uh, how many Americans think that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone? You know, that, that type of stuff. And, and oftentimes, I, I really, it's interesting because I, my take on this is I look at this event from a couple different angles. First and foremost, does it really matter how many people were involved in this? I mean, at the end of the day, John Kennedy was killed. American president assassinated. Um, basically, there was television coverage. We have video footage of the... Uh, of the, of the actual motorcade processing by the Texas School Book Depository and the gunshots ringing out and the president slumping over. I mean, it was just, it was powerful to watch. Secondly, television was just becoming a thing in a lot of homes. It wasn't still as widespread as the radio, but television was a big deal. And so how many millions of Americans were glued to Walter Cronkite on CBS News? giving us the updates. Remember, you, you see him very famously in the newsroom. He wasn't on a set. He was sitting on, I think, someone's desk. And 
had his, uh, you know, just this white long sleeve shirt on and skinny necktie, and he was reading with his glasses on because, you know, he wanted to make sure he got it right. And then when he finally was handed the bulletin that the president had passed away, he took the glasses off and such an iconic moment. But then the idea that, you know, we witnessed this together, I mean, something that uh, sociologists and psychologists talk about as a, a massively uh, multi-person experience event, it used to happen a lot in our culture, and now it doesn't happen nearly as often. You know, if you mention November 22nd, 1963, people immediately go to, oh yeah, um, the Kennedy assassination. If you say July 20th, 1969, it's Neil Armstrong, first man to set foot on the moon. And poor Buzz Aldrin, he was second, but Neil Armstrong was first. You know, one small step for man, one giant step for mankind, we remember those iconic moments. Where were you when John Lennon was assassinated? Where were you when uh, uh, Ronald Reagan had the attempt on his life shortly two months into office? I mean, there are so many iconic things that happen that are, some are positive, some are negative, but the, uh, the more positive ones, if you're a sports fan, back when people used to watch the World Series on television, I was looking this year, the, the Rangers being beating the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks was a very entertaining series. And yet it was the most, it was the few, that had the lowest attendance. Fewer people watched that World Series than just about any other televised World Series. And that even goes back apparently to the days when they used to play games during the day. Remember when all the games were day games and they weren't playing a lot of night games? I remember the year they first started playing night games. It was 1971. And you know how I know that? Because I snuck my transistor radio into my school bag in my fifth grade class, I thought my teacher, Mrs. Kaler, would be cool enough to let us listen. And when we got there and I was flipping around the dial, trying to find like all the other kids did years before. And then I found out that they were playing the games at night during the week. <laughs> oh, shoot. But they wanted to bring it to prime time. I get it. Still played some day games on the weekends. But those are experiences that we as people experience together. And I don't know how many people realize you know, that, that an event like um, uh, the bombing at Pearl Harbor, where, you know, obviously it hit Hawaii, but then the news report going out. And then Franklin Delano Roosevelt's uh, impassioned and powerful speech on December 8th, 1941, and those famous words, yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. Just, we remember those days. We remember those moments. So the John Kennedy assassination is seared into the soul of Americans. And just because the greatest generation is now in their 80s and 90s, but the baby boom generation in their 60s and 70s, and I being, it's weird, I identify as Generation X, I think emotionally, psychologically, I, I identify more with that crowd. I'll be honest with you, there's a certain part of the baby boom. Officially, the baby boom is 1943 to 1964, but... If you were born anytime after like 1956, you really didn't get, you got the table scraps of the baby boom. <laughs> You're kind of stuck in the middle and you're really more Gen X than you think. That's my opinion. But I remember being two years of age on November 22nd, 1963. My mom was home with my sister and me. My sister was four years of age and Linda had a sucker. She remembers having a little lollipop and I was just kind of playing. And of course, my mom who listened to a lot of news radio back in the day, uh, had the TV on, like a lot of anybody who had a, was at home and near a television set was watching this thing. And the only recollection I have of this is that my sister remembers offering Walter Cronkite a bite of her sucker. Um, 
as any four-year-old would do, she just put it up on the screen, figured he might like it. That was very thoughtful of her. But it just shows the nature of how interactive we wanted television to be even then. So I mentioned that this is an auspicious day, and I wanted to walk through it, do a little analysis, balance, and clarity today here on The Bottom Line as we wrap up the program today, right before our big Thanksgiving celebration, and, uh, and just to remind you about the sanctity of human life. And, uh, you know, Republican, Democrat, doesn't really matter. I, in all honesty, I think if John Kennedy were alive today, and he, if he were alive today, by the way, he'd be 106 years old. But um, if he were alive today, he would not be running as a Democrat. I mean, there are people who often refer to themselves as Kennedy Democrats, and they, you know, they were they were fighting racism, they were fighting socialism and communism, and didn't want to see huge expanses of government. But unfortunately, unwittingly, in their effort to try to make America a better place for women and minorities and things of that nature, they wound up expanding government a lot. And now the Democrat Party has become so progressive that the Republican Party kind of looks like the Kennedy Democrats. The Democratic Party looked like socialists and communists. And I don't know what happens to conservatives like us. It's just kind of a whole different, you know, uh, exchange here. But the thing about the death of John Kennedy shows us a couple different things. First and foremost, one of the things that we were so moved by, obviously, was that the Kennedy family were a lot younger than we expected our presidents to be. Now, this is back at a time if you look at a 46-year-old man today compared to a 46-year-old man when John Kennedy was breathing his last, there's a huge difference in the way we looked. I, I love those pictures that show up on social media every now and again where they uh, compare, you know, here's the, ca like one, the cast of the Mary Tyler Moore show. And they showed the cast. Remember how they all looked like big old grown-ups and adults and things like that? And then we find out afterwards that they were in their mid-30s. You know, <laughs> nowadays they look like they would be 60 or 70. Um, and then the flip side of that is I saw a picture the other day of uh, B. Arthur on the Golden Girls and she looked exactly like John Bon Jovi. So I don't know what the connection is there. But when you think about the fact that the Kennedys had young children, Caroline and John John were just, I mean, they, they, that who can forget that iconic moment during the uh, motorcade for the funeral for President Kennedy where John John salutes. It's just, it, oh, it's just so heartbreaking. But, you know, it, it's interesting because I think there have been times when people have been taken out, you know, whether it be later Bobby Kennedy or Martin Luther King Jr., and there are people who would look at that politically and see the political aim and gain there. But the sanctity of human life, remember, John Kennedy was a pretty devout Catholic, and the Catholic position, ironically, is we're pro-life. We're pro-life all the way through from birth until, you know, even if someone's facing the death penalty, we don't want to see them do that. But at the same time, we keep voting for candidates who profess to be Catholic but wind up supporting abortion. Uh, before we go any further, I just want to remind you, we have a special opportunity with our friends at Preborn. And uh, Preborn has the opportunity for us to double the impact of our giving right now. It's now through basically the Thanksgiving season, which I've extended through uh, November the 30th. 833-850-BABY. If you value the sanctity of human life at all, and I know you do because you listen to this program, consider giving the gift of not uh, a sign and a screaming confrontation in front of an abortion clinic, but how about the gift of an ultrasound? How, allowing the mother of a soon-to-be-born child to look at those first baby pictures and realize this is not just a glob of tissue and cells and things like that. This is a human being, your child, your son, your daughter. 
And when you see those pictures, 85% of the time when women see those pictures and then find out that adoption is an option as well, they'll choose life for their kid, either because they'll say, I could do this, I can be a mom, or they'll say, oh my goodness, I could carry this child to term and adopt my baby out and my medical is covered. And in many cases, there's a stipend for the mom who is the birth mother. I mean, it's, it, it's a win, 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 win. Your $28 donation makes one of these ultrasound appointments at a preborn clinic possible. And now with a special matching gift, $28 makes two of these visits possible. Can we get to 740 of these kids between now and the 30th of November? With this matching grant, I think we can. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229-BABY. Or just go online to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com. Find the preborn banner, click it, and uh, make your donation there. Okay, we'll take a quick break. Uh, here on the 60th anniversary of the passing, the assassination of John F. Kennedy, our 35th president, I'm going to take an analysis, balance, and clarity look at the events of the day, what happened, and why um, it really does you know, ring true for us to take a look at this and ask the question, how far have we come as a nation since the John F. Kennedy assassination? Why would anybody on the side of evil want to see an American president like John Kennedy assassinated. We'll take a look at that and more coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this special Thanksgiving Day edition, well, pre-Thanksgiving Day, day before Thanksgiving Day edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're taking a look today as the 60th anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy and kind of revisiting the events of the day because a lot of people know this is the day he was killed, but they don't know exactly what happened. I want to do a little rundown just to refresh your memory. This is from our friends at the History Channel and history ch- History.com. John Fitzgerald Kennedy, the 35th president of the United States, assassinated in 1963 on this day while traveling through Dallas, Texas in an open-top convertible. Looked like a Lincoln, Lincoln Continental. First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy rarely accompanied her husband on political outings, but she was beside him, along with Texas Governor John Connolly and his wife. They made a 10-mile motorcade through the streets of downtown Dallas on the afternoon of November 22nd. Sitting in the Lincoln convertible, the Kennedys and Connollys waved at a large and enthusiastic crowd as they passed through, and they were gathering along the parade route there. As their vehicle passed by the Texas School Book Depository, uh, that building, they were coming by at about 12.30 p.m. Central Time. Lee Harvey Oswald allegedly fired three shots from the sixth floor of that building. One of the shots uh, wound up fatally wounding President Kennedy and seriously injuring Governor Connolly. Uh, 30 minutes later at Dallas's Parkland Hospital, President Kennedy was pronounced dead. 
He was 46 years of age. Vice President Lyndon Johnson was three cars behind President Kennedy in the motorcade. And at 2.39 p.m. that afternoon, two hours after the shooting, he was sworn in as 36th president of the United States. He took the presidential oath of office, by the way, if you're playing trivia games. Uh, he did the, the swearing in on aboard Air Force One, which was on the runway of Dallas's Love Field Airport. There were 30 different people who witnessed the event, including Jacqueline Kennedy, who uh, just it's so interesting to, to think about this. You've seen the iconic picture of LBJ looking very solemn and Jackie Onassis, well, Jackie Kennedy at the time, standing right next to him as he took the oath. I mean, think about the events. They start the motorcade. It's about 12 noon. They're making their way through the heart of Dallas. They get to the book depository building around 1230. Shots fired. Uh, the president is taken to the hospital. 1 p.m., he's pronounced dead. 2.39 p.m., Lyndon Johnson, who was also there in the motorcade, I mean, he's a Texas guy, uh, is sworn in as the 36th president of the United States. And seven minutes later, Air Force One took off for Washington. Jackie Kennedy forever memorialized by standing in that photo next to Lyndon Johnson and he's, as he's being sworn in as the 36th president of the United States. Um, she has the president's blood literally on her clothes. Uh, the next day, November 23rd, President Johnson issued his first proclamation. He declared that November 25th would be a national day of mourning for President Kennedy. And then on that Monday, hundreds of thousands of people went to Washington to watch the horse-drawn uh, carriage uh, bearing President Kennedy's body, taking it from the Capitol Rotunda to St. Matthew's Catholic Cathedral for the Requiem Mass. And then they continued on after that to Arlington National Cemetery. Um, to put this in perspective, there were 99 leaders of different nations that gathered for the state funeral. Uh, President Kennedy was buried with full military honors on a slope below Arlington House. An eternal flame was lit by his widow to forever mark that grave. Now, why is it that everybody pointed their fingers at Lee Harvey Oswald? Well, who is this guy exactly? A lot of people don't really know the full story. Lee Harvey Oswald was born in New Orleans in 1939 and joined the United States Marine Corps in 1956. Three years later, he was discharged. And nine days later, he left for the Soviet Union. For whatever reason, after three years in the U.S. Marine Corps, he tried to become a Soviet. He moved to the Soviet Union, tried to become a citizen, could not. He worked in Minsk. He married a Soviet woman, and in 1962, he was allowed to return to the U.S. with his wife and infant daughter. Now, remember, he's still a U.S. citizen at this point. His wife and his infant daughter are not. Allegedly, in 1963, early on that year, he bought a 38 caliber revolver and a rifle with a telescopic sight through the mail. Um, it's not that Lee Harvey Oswald was his first time out of the shoot in, 19, uh, in November of 1963 because on April the 10th in Dallas, apparently, uh, he took a shot at and missed former U.S. Army General Edwin Walker. Now, Edwin Walker was a bit too right-wing for Lee Harvey Oswald. Later that month, he, um, he went to New Orleans and founded a branch of Fair Play for Cuba Committee, which is a pro-Castro organization. You get to see you begin to see the picture here. And people wonder, well, why are they always trying to frame Lee Harvey Os Oswald? Well, look at his uh, resume. 
In September of 1963, Oswald went to Mexico City. Investigators alleged that he attempted to secure a visa to travel to Cuba or to return to the USSR. But in October, he returned to Dallas and he took a job at the Texas School Book Depository Building. Less than an hour after um, he, the, uh, President Kennedy was shot, uh, Oswald allegedly kill, shot and killed a policeman who questioned him on the street near his rooming house in Dallas. Half hour later, he was arrested in a movie theater. Police reporting uh, that they had seen reports of a suspect. He was formally arraigned on November 23rd for the murders of President Kennedy and the aforementioned police officer J.D. Tippett. On November 24th, Oswald was brought to the basement of the Dallas police headquarters on his way to a more secure county jail. There were a crowd of police officers and press. You've seen this image before because here comes Jack Ruby. Uh, this is where the cameras are rolling. They were trying to get, you know, here's the guy who allegedly shot President Kennedy. He's on his way to a different jail. And as he walked into the room, a guy named Jack Ruby entered the room with a, uh, a 38 caliber revolver that he had concealed in the crowd. Uh, Ruby shot Lee Harvey Oswald and was immediately detained. He claimed that rage at Kennedy's murder was the motive for his actions. Uh, nonetheless, even though people were calling him a hero, he was charged with first-degree murder. It's interesting because then when it comes to uh, the Jack Ruby story, uh, he was charged with first-degree murder, but um, basically he was tried and convicted. But in October 1966, the Texas Court of Appeals reversed the decision. The reason that they gave was they said there was an improper admission of testimony and they also said, too, Jack Ruby would not have been able to receive a fair trial in Dallas at the time because what he did was so polarizing. So they moved to Wichita Falls, and while he was there, Jack Ruby had lung cancer, and he died in the hospital. Now, what's interesting about this is then people want to dig deeper. You know, who was Oswald working for? You know, what about Jack Ruby? What, were, they guy, were they working together somehow? You know, I mean, did Oswald owe somebody some money and, you know, this, that, and the other thing? Uh, the history.com report actually has a couple of photographs. Here's a picture of the shoes that Jack Ruby was wearing when he shot Lee Harvey Oswald. That's crazy. Um, the Earl Warren Commission issued a report in 1964 trying to surmise or ascertain, if you will, whether or not Lee Harvey Oswald was working for a larger organization and whether or not Jack Ruby was. Um, in 1964, the Warren Commission concluded that neither one of them was. Uh, but unfortunately, that really didn't, I mean, the conspiracy theories kept going. 1978, the House Select Committee on Assassinations concluded in a preliminary report that Kennedy was, quote, probably assassinated as a result of a conspiracy that may have involved multiple shooters and organized crime. Now, the organized crime part came in because Jack Ruby, real name Jacob Rubenstein, used to run a series of dance halls in Dallas, and he also ran a couple of strip clubs. As a result, he had some minor connections to organized crime. Uh, many believe that people uh, were of the impression that he killed Lee Harvey Oswald to keep him from revealing a larger conspiracy. Um, basically, the jury that found... Uh, Jack Ruby guilty, said it was guilty for murder with malice, and he was sentenced to death. He wound up dying of um, uh, cancer in the hospital. But that's the, those are the facts, them's the details 
of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, the 35th president of the United States, killed on this day 60 years ago in Dallas, Texas. Some final thoughts on what this means for us as believers. Coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment. And the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat. And you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to this analysis, balance, and clarity segment of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh here on this Wednesday, the 22nd of November. It is the 60th anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, and I mentioned earlier that we walked through the uh, the particulars and what we know about this now, what the History Channel tells us we know 60 years after the assassination, and how it is seared in the soul of Americans because so much of this played out on live national television and how it uh, just really impacted the global scene as well with Lee Harvey Oswald's connection to Russia and Cuba and Jack Ruby's connection to organized crime and why was the president you know, so exposed like that and was Lee Harvey Oswald just one of those crazy dudes or was he trying to work for someone that it's very possible he was trying to get someone in Cuba or Moscow's attention and uh, it obviously didn't work for him because Jack Ruby wound up gunning him down two days later. But as Christians though, the implications here John F. Kennedy was a man of the Catholic faith, a man who was a uh, church-going Catholic. I don't know how deep in his convictions he was because, of course, later in, uh, after his uh, presidency was over, there were discoveries of dalliances and things of that nature, and I'm not insinuating that just because he was a quote-unquote good Catholic would mean he would never do that. But it was the first time this part of the conversation included Catholicism. It's the first time in the national dialogue that uh, the whether, you know, can a Catholic be president, you know, that type of thing came up. Now it seems to be commonplace. But I think the question now we're asking is, can a person of Christian faith serve in public office? Not because they're going to get assassinated for their faith, not insinuating that John Kennedy was. But that kind of got in motion, set the ball in motion for the whole idea that a person of faith brings that component to the table. Judaism, Catholicism, a little easier to culturally dismiss, just come to another identifier, another marker. But what about those of us of the Christian faith who are truly living it out? And again, I'd never met President Kennedy, so I don't know how deep his faith was. Obviously, I was two when he was assassinated. But it makes me wonder about why it's so difficult for Christians to get any kind of traction on the national stage. And is it because they are burning so bright with the love of Christ that it just kind of blinds everybody else or maybe because there's that Laodicean thing about being a little lukewarm. One thing I'm sensing right now 
is that if there were a man or a woman of the vibrant Christian faith in office, I don't know if they'd be assassinated, but it's conceivable that they could be assassinated simply because someone didn't like their faith. And so here's the question. This life is temporal. All of us has a day where we're going to no longer be able to breathe. All of us are going to live eternally. The question is where? Heaven or hell? With the Lord, apart from the Lord. And there's no hope of changing that situation. Now, no one would want to change your situation if you're going to heaven and you get eternity with God, right? You want that. But that whole thing about going to hell and that permanent separation, right now there are people living some pretty licentious lives who once they come to faith say, oh, I'm so glad that God didn't leave me in that. But I guess here's the question. If, if you, as a Christian, were in a position like the presidency of the United States, would your faith make somebody so angry with all the evil in the world that they would want to take you out? There's going to come a time, brothers and sisters, where we of the Christian faith will be taken out for our faith by the world, trying to silence us, just like they're trying to blow Israel off the map, not realizing that God already won that war and Jerusalem is very important to him. But now, on the 60th anniversary of the assassination of the 35th president of the United States of America, we have to ask the question too. If you were to be put on trial for your faith in Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Some food for thought today here on The Bottom Line.